0: Thank you, uh, girls. I appreciate that. That is a tremendous song. The day ever comes that I forget what real love is. Remind me of the cross. And, uh, man, I hope that I never get to the point where I forget what Christ has done for me. And that sure is an amazing thing to think of that great salvation that we have uh, because of that great love. And um, if you would, this evening, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. 4. I do appreciate the opportunities that I have, as Brad said the other night. One good thing about Pastor being out of town is the the chances to preach, and uh, it is it is such a privilege, and I count it an honor <clears throat> to uh, be honored uh, to be to be counted worthy by God. You know, l- let alone Pastor, uh, but to be counted worthy of God to be able to stand before you tonight, and and I sure am looking forward to the messages he's given to me for all of us this evening. And uh, I'm going to read a verse for you out of. Proverbs chapter 22, and you can stay there in in Matthew 4, we'll be there in just a moment. But in Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 28, the word of God says, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And there's some ancient landmarks that have been established for us. Now, it doesn't matter how old you are in this evening, whether you are in your senior years uh, or whether you are a, just a child, there, were landmarks that there, ha, there are landmarks that were established way before any of us were here. And uh, we look back upon those landmarks for how we are to live our lives. The landmarks were originally set in place as guideposts to determine the, the property lines in, in the ancient world. And they would put out the, the landmarks, and you know, through time people would try to scoot those landmarks around, try to steal more property. And uh, that's why we've got to be careful to know where the ancient landmarks are and to observe them. And the the challenge this evening from this verse is remove not the ancient landmarks. Don't be one of those people that's removing the things that have been set down. Principles in God's word that cannot be ignored and should not be forgotten. There are so many of those principles. And we have to be mindful uh, to remember these principles, not to allow them to be forgotten. There's so much in the word of God, it's inexhaustible. You look at it, and it just doesn't matter how many times you look at the same passage, it seems as though you can find a different truth. Not a new truth, but a different truth. One that you never have seen before. And, and, and depending on where you're at in your life, it's amazing how the phases of your life uh, affect Scripture. You know, you, you go through a trial, and different verses mean different things. You go through a, a high point in your life, and, and another passage may pop out to you. It, it, the Word of God, it's living, it's alive. And that's how it works for us. But G- God has set down some, some ancient landmarks, no matter where we're at in our life, no matter what phases of our life we are in, that are true principles that need to be followed and need to be obeyed. And tonight we're going to, to look at some of those ancient landmarks. Now we have landmarks such as soul winning. They define who we are really as a church. That, that's an ancient landmark that can't be removed. The faithfulness and, and, and faith is so important. Our prayer life, these are landmarks that are obvious, that we think about on, for the most part, hopefully a daily basis. But there are some things I believe that we have known about or we have heard before, but we've let them fall by the wayside over over the years. We know about them, but we don't often do them. And I want to look at these landmarks tonight. Some things, just three things that we can remember. Some important landmarks. Matthew chapter 4, I trust you're there. Uh, In verse number 3, Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 3, I want to read a a story for you. In verse number 3 it says, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and in him only shalt thou serve. When the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came, then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came, and ministered unto him. In this passage we see how the Lord avoided temptation. It's a common story. of something that most of us, for, for, for the most part, we're familiar with what's going on here. How that Jesus is, is out there and, and the devil comes and tempts him and tempts him and tempts him. And let's get some feedback tonight. Hopefully you were paying attention. I was reading there. How did he refute the devil? Somebody hollered out. The word, of God. the word of God. Through the word of God. He used the word of God, even though he was God, he used the word of God to resist Temptation. Now, I understand that this is Jesus. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, yeah, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. All right? I understand who this is that He is the Word of God Himself. But there's a principle in this passage that I want us to understand, and the the landmark. It's the landmark of Scripture memorization. Scripture memorization. The, the Lord here was able to refute temptation because he had God's word hid in his heart. We face a lot of struggles and a lot of trials in our lives. And it's so important that we hide his word in our heart. In Psalms chapter 119, verses 9, it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee. O oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. In First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you, a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Here we see two different uh, illustrations about how we are to sanctify our lives. To sanctify something is really to cleanse it from Corruption. And if we're to keep sin out of our life, if we're to keep corruption out of our lives, we have got to hide God's word in our heart. John chapter 17 verse 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. How do we sanctify ourselves? Through the word of God. The word of God is the purification process for our lives. And specifically, hiding God's word in our hearts. Do you find yourself facing constant temptation? Do you find yourself struggling in the same area repeatedly? Hide God's Word in your heart. Do you find yourself giving into to temptation where you don't are, are not able on your own to resist? Hide God's Word in your heart. There are so many benefits of, of hiding God's Word in, in your heart. There's the benefit of the ability to overcome temptation, as we've mentioned. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way of escape that she may be able to bear it. The ability to overcome temptation comes through memorization. I won't ask for a show of hands this evening, but when's the last time that you memorized a portion of Scripture? When's the last time that you hid God's Word in your heart? I, I'm not talking about memorizing a whole chapter Or memorizing a whole book Or memorizing ten verses I'm simply talking about memorizing a verse It's funny how we think where We think man I just I keep, I keep seeming to fail I, I, I keep giving in at this temptation I just can't overcome it And God has prescribed the, the cure But we just overlooked it Or forgotten it Or it just doesn't seem really important enough To us in the end to follow through with it. Are you hiding God's word in your heart? Another benefit of memorizing God's word is that you'll have boldness in your soul winning. You'll have boldness in your soul winning. You know why? Because you'll be ready to give an answer. Because you know it. You know, the, the fact of the matter is the more and the better you know something, the more likely you are to speak up about the subject. It's true. The better you know something, the more likely you are to speak up about it. You know a lot of times why we won't witness to a coworker Because we don't have the answers. You know why we won't talk to a neighbor? Because we don't, we don't know, we're afraid. We're afraid of what they might ask us, how they may make us look. We're scared about, uh, or, or our pride really in the end is keeping us from it, but our pride is not strong enough for us to say, hey, I better get some knowledge here. I better find out what the answer is. And I know this isn't, uh, this isn't uh, you know, mind-blowing news tonight that we need to memorize the Word of God, but like I said, <laughs> it's something that we know about, but how often do we practice it? How often do we apply it in our lives? Hiding God's Word in our, heart, our hearts also gives us the benefit of being able to discern truth from error. The, we just read that God's Word is truth. How can you distinguish between right and wrong if you don't have the guidepost for truth in your life? We've got to hide God's word in our hearts. This is next level Christianity stuff. This is growing past babes in Christ. We will never get get to where God wants us to be without memorization. Why? Well, because he commanded us to do it. First of all, and second of all, we will constantly be faced with temptation that we will never be able to overcome unless we do it. Do you hide God's word in your heart? How many failures in our lives could we have avoided if we simply had God's word in our heart? How many failures? I, I, I don't even want to count how many times I've failed. But I know that God's word is true, and he says that there's a way of escape in every temptation. And he says that the way of escape is through his word. The same way that Jesus escaped temptation is the same way that I'm going to escape temptation. How badly then tonight is really is the question. How badly tonight do you want to escape temptation? How badly tonight do you want to be bold in your witness? Really, when you boil things down like this, it it makes all of us look bad. It really does. When you start to boil down scripture and you get to the meat of it, and you say, wow, I have, and, and I, I'm, I know there's tremendous Christians in this room. I'm not, I'm not downplaying where you're at, where any of us are at. I'm simply saying, hey, let's get stronger. Let's get better. Let's go deeper in our walk with the Lord. It's so important that we take our Christian lives to the next level. As Brother Brad mentioned the other night, how we can become just content with where we're at. We're just, we're okay with it. We're pleased with the level of Christianity we're at. I know none of us would actually say that out loud, but you know how we say it? When memorization isn't important to us. When we don't memorize. It's as, sim- it's as simple as saying, hey, you know, I'm content. I'm good where I'm at. I have no problems. It's all good. Memorizing. The Word of God. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, if you would look over there with me. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. The Bible says Then came him, the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but the disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them. And then shall they fast. The second principle or landmark that we need to remind ourselves of is the, the landmark of fasting before the Lord. Fasting before the Lord. The disciples uh, of John the Baptist came to the Lord and, and, and asked why his disciples didn't fast as often as the Pharisees did. What, what, Jesus, why, 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 aren't your, why aren't your disciples, why aren't they fasting? And Jesus said, because they have me with them. I'm right here with them. And hey, when Jesus is standing right next to you, you don't get closer to him. He's right there. He's standing right next to you. And while Jesus was with the disciples, if you look through Scripture, you will see over and over again that he provided for their needs. Didn't he? Met all of their needs. When it came time for tax season, Master, what are we going to do to pay the go, down to the... go down to the water and pull the fish out. Open up his mouth, you'll find a coin in it. When they were hungry, he said, hey, it's okay, my, the, the Lord will, the, the, my father will provide for our needs. And the baskets are overflowed. Every single time uh, that the Lord uh, was there while he was with his disciples, he provided, he supplied all of their needs. But also, not only did he provide for their needs, he also gave them power. While the Lord was, while Jesus was with his disciples, did not the disciples have a limited amount of power? They did, to heal the lame, the sick, the maim, the halt. While he was with them, he gave them power. However, he says, the time would come when that would not be the case. In verse 15 it said, But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, then shall they fast. Then shall they fast. Luke chapter 22, verse 35 through 36 it says, And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said nothing. Then he said unto them, But now he that hath purse, let him take it. And likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garments and buy one. He said, hey, things are about to change. While I was with you, I took care of your needs. I made all of the provision and I gave you power. But things are about to change. I'm going to leave and you're going to have to get things done on your own. Don't have a sword? You're going to need your own protection. I've told you before to leave your person home, but go get it now, because you're going to have to buy your own food. He said, I'm leaving, and you're not going to have the blessing of me right there with you. But I'm not going to leave you empty-handed. I'm going to leave you with something. Fasting. Fasting. So what is fasting, then? It's the ability to have everything the disciples had while Jesus was on the earth. That's what fasting is. And again... I know nobody's mind's blowing up right now about fasting because we've heard it a million times. But when's the last time that you fasted? When's the last time you utilized in your life? If it really is as powerful as having Jesus walking with you through the mountainside and providing for your needs and protecting you, when's the last time we used it? It's something that we look at. it's, It's an ancient landmark we know about, sure, but why haven't we practiced it recently? Fasting is part of what Paul describes as working out your own salvation. It's a part of our lives where we have to put some effort into it in order to get a result. When we fast, what we willingly do is deprive our bodies of nourishment and the pleasurable taste of food. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you're one of those weird people who don't enjoy food and you just eat it because you have to. I'm not that person. All right? I enjoy food. I love to eat, all right? And, um, man, it's good. I love it. Mm, I'm hungry now. But the fact of the matter is, it takes some discipline to say, Hey, I'm going to deprive myself of the nourishment that I know I need in order to keep on going. Are we willing to deprive ourselves of our own nourishment? What does that do when you deprive yourself of nourishment? It makes you weak, doesn't it? It makes you personally weak. Not able to perform as you normally would. Know why we're so against fasting uh, subconsciously? Because we don't like to feel weak. We want to feel as though we can accomplish anything. I can climb mountains. I can can get through this week. Little bit of trouble, sure. Work's going to be difficult tomorrow morning, it's okay. I'm just going to plow right through it. There's nothing wrong with a get-it-done attitude. But we cannot depend solely upon our strength. Actually, we're better off not depending on our strength at all. We see here that when we fast, we willingly deprive our bodies of nourishment that we need, and we become weak. But it also has another effect. Just as the Scripture says, when I am weak, then... You are strong. Because when we realize our weakness, we begin to see His strength. Isn't it in the valleys that you realize how good God's grace is? Isn't it through the trials that you realize how how loving He is? It's because as you go through those things, you begin to experience it in a different level. But you don't have to go through trials or go through valleys in order to experience that. God says, you want to experience it? Fast. Deprive your body of that that nourishment that you need and get before me. And when I speak of fasting, I'm not simply just speaking of skipping a meal and filling that time with a workout. Fasting is to be accompanied by prayer. Fasting in itself is not uh, the tool. Fasting and prayer are the tool. Fasting, Lord, I know that I can't do it. Prayer, Lord, I need you to do it for me. I can't do this on my own. How do we fast then? We should fast humbly. In Matthew chapter 6, 17 and 18 it says, But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto, the father, unto thy Father which is in heaven in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Don't appear unto men to fast. When you're going through a time of fasting, it's not to come into church. I'm fasting this week. I'm just so weak. You know, God is so strong. That's not with walking around like a zombie. God says, no, the purpose of fasting is not to appear as to do something as though the Pharisees lifting up their hands in prayer and say, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, yeah, I'm just so I'm so insufficient without you, God. I can't do anything without you. And no, it's not the attitude of the person that's fasting. The attitude of the person of fasting is to walk in the church and let's do this just like normal. I'm not talking about this, is not being fake. It's just saying, hey, you know what? This is something between me and God and the God that sees in secret will reward there is a benefit. What is our motive in fasting then? If we're, we know how to fast, we're to do it humbly, it's, it's in secret, it's something be done between me and the Lord. What should be my motive for fasting? Well, one of the motives for fasting is to, to build up the kingdom of God. In Isaiah chapter 58, 5 through 7, and you can just uh, listen if you would. It is, Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a a bulrush and spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day of the Lord? Is not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens and let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out of thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him? And that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? He says, hey, you know what? I know some people think that fasting is about putting on the sackcloth and ashes and rubbing it on their faces and sitting in a pile of ash. He said, this is not the fast that I have given you. The fast that I have given to you is for a specific purpose it's to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the pressed go free, and to break, break every yoke. You're going through something that you just can't seem to conquer? Pray and fast. Fasting breaks the yoke of bondage. You know somebody that's depressed or are you depressed yourself? Pray and fast. It lets the oppressed go free. Do you know somebody who's going through a time of heavy burden? Some struggle in their lives? Fast and prayer because it lifts burdens. Is there somebody that's just got their heart hardened to God? Is there wickedness in their lives? And you're concerned and burdened about it? Prayer and fasting. This is, this is the, one of the motives of fasting. It's not just a tool that I can use for myself. Fasting is a tool that is used for the building up of the body of Christ. You see somebody going through something, hey, you don't have to go to them and tell them you're praying and fasting for them, but just get on your face and pray and prayer and, and start fasting. Thy Father which seeth in secret will reward. Want to, want to get a hold of that Holy Ghost power? just not sure how to do it, you, you want to go uh, to the Lord on somebody else's behalf, prayer and fasting. Another benefit of, of, of uh, or another motive for uh, fasting is to bring you closer in your relationship with the Lord. To bring you closer in your relationship with the Lord. I know many Christians that feel like they're in a stagnant place in their walk with God. Just like as they just can't move forward. Something's holding them back. They may question it themselves and say, what is it? What is the thing? I would encourage you to pray and fast about that. If that's you. Prayer and fasting. It helps us to draw closer to God. Now there's the promise in the word of God that if I draw nigh to him, that he will draw nigh to me. And the, the common principle here that people think is that hey, as I get closer to God, he gets closer to me. First of all, God doesn't change. God never changes, He never moves, He's an unmovable object, He's in the same place all the time. But it's a a principle of, hey, of, of effect. If I move closer to Him, then He is definitely closer to me. It's not that He's moving closer to me, He's always been there. He never moved away from me. I just have to take a step closer, and as I'm closer, He's closer. As I'm closer, He's closer. And when you get on your face in prayer and fasting... It is as though double the progress is being made between you and the Lord in your relationship. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And I understand this verse is talking about how short our life is in the flesh and that we'll understand the grace and strength of God as we get on in the years in our lives. But the same principle applies to fasting. As we humbly deprive our bodies through fasting, the spiritual man is made stronger. It is strengthened. The senses become stronger. Our spiritual sense becomes stronger. You know, there's been scientific studies. You deprive somebody of a sense that other senses develop. Somebody who is deaf, a lot of times, will have better eyesight. Somebody who is blind will have better hearing. Because when one sense is deprived, another sense has to step up to fill in the gap. And when we deprive our physical the sense of physical ability in our lives, the sense of spiritual strength steps in. It's so important that we develop that sense of physical or of spiritual strength. The sense that can only come through prayer and fasting. You look at the disciples, they utilize fasting to make decisions. You ever had to make a a difficult decision? You ever have a tough decision to make? Did you pray and fast about it? The disciples in Acts chapter 13, 2 and 3, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas, and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. They use fasting and prayer to make the decision about who to send out. Matthew 5, uh, verse 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Obviously, hungering and thirsting after righteousness will not come in your life until you are willing to fast. You want to get to that next level in your spiritual life? Take up fasting, it's a tool that is so commonly neglected thirdly this evening and finally i want to touch on a subject as near and near and dear to my heart something i think that we often need reminded of and and i've mentioned it before and usually i do it when the pastor's away but the thought this night is the idea of holding up the hands of the man of god holding up the hands of the man of god next is chapter 17 11 through 12 it says and it came to pass when moses held up his hands that israel prevailed and when he let down his hands amalek prevailed but moses hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Here we see the leader, the, the spiritual leader for the children of Israel, Moses. And you see the men on either side of him who step up. And you say, well, that's you. you know, you're the man who's supposed to step up and lift up the hands of the man of God. No, it's the responsibility of all of us. It's not just pastors. It's not a one-way responsibility for pastor to encourage us. It's a two-way street. Right, Just, I know Pastor is the under-shepherd, and he's been placed in a position of leadership, but there's principles that go beyond where his position is at for us to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially the man of God. We ought to encourage the pastor because we love the Lord, and God has appointed him as our leader. You may say, well, I, I don't feel like encouraging the pastor. Well, then maybe you're in the wrong place. And, and I'm, I've pastor's watching, he's probably thinking I'm trying to cause a church split or something. I'm not trying to cause a church split. I'm saying that, hey, God appoints, he knows what you need. He knows who you need, and he has placed that person here. And he has placed you under that person. And if you got an attitude problem towards him, then he can't do the ministry that he's been assigned to do. And you will never be blessed the way that God intended you to be blessed, by being under the pastor that he has placed over you. I, I know I've used this list before, I think, at a pastor appreciation, but I, I want to I read these. They're a bit comical, but mostly true. Attitudes that some develop towards pastors. If he is young, he lacks experience. If his hair is gray, he's too old for the young people. If he has several children, he has too many. If he has no children, he's setting a bad example. If he preaches from his notes, he has canned sermons and is too dry. If he doesn't use notes, he has not studied and is not deep. If he is attentive to the poor people in the church, they claim he's playing to the grandstand. If he pays attention to the wealthy, he's trying to be an aristocrat. If he suggests change for improvement of the church, he's a dictator. If he makes no suggestion, he is a figurehead. If he uses too many illustrations, he neglects the Bible. If he doesn't use enough illustrations, he isn't clear. If he condemns wrong, he's cranky. If he doesn't preach against sin, he's a compromiser. If he fails to please somebody, he's hurting the church and ought to leave. If he tries to please everybody, he's a fool. If he preaches about money, he's a money grabber. If he doesn't preach about spiritual giving, he's failing to develop the people. If he drives an old car, he shames his congregation. If he drives a new car, he's setting uh, his affection on earthly things. If he preaches all the time, the people get tired of hearing one man. If he invites a guest speaker, he's shirking his responsibility. If he receives a large salary, he's a mercenary. If he receives only a small salary, well, it proves he isn't worth much anyway. <laughs> Attitudes that we develop, it's like, oh, that's, that's kind of sad, but yeah, that's True. In the back of our minds, it's funny, the attitudes we develop towards our preacher. And I want to encourage you and and myself, let's encourage our preacher. And I appreciate, you know, he's gone now and he's got this opportunity to be away. Something pastor has put in place. It's something that we as a church, it's not something that i want to force down your throat as the assistant pastor here, saying, Hey, let's appreciate Pastor. That's not the point of pastor appreciation. It's a voluntary thing for us to say, Hey, we appreciate Pastor here. It's so important that we should have been How to be an encouragement to our pastor. You can pray for the man of God. Pray for the man of God. Here's some ways to pray. Pray for clarity of thought and boldness in preaching God's word. It's not easy to stand behind this pulpit. It's not. And even that right there, I warred with doing that. I can't imagine the the pressure that pastor is under every single week. I'm thankful that the Lord has not called me to be a pastor. He may eventually one day. But as of right now, I'm enjoying being the assistant. Because I don't have to do the hard stuff. I just have to do the grunt work. But I don't have to stand behind this desk every week and prepare the message and then stand up here with boldness and deliver it. Pray for pastor for boldness. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That's the prayer of every preacher. They want to be bold. But they need to have some prayer support in the background. Pray for the pastor. Pray for, uh, for, for, for uh, clarity of thought and boldness in preaching. Pray for wisdom, guidance, and direction. The pressure that pastor is under in making the decisions far surpass that of somebody who runs a corporation because he will answer to God for the decisions that he makes. He's not answering to a board. He's not answering to a, 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 a deacon's, uh, you know the deacons in the church. It's not who he answers to ultimately in the end. He answers to God. Pray for wisdom, guidance, and direction. You got a problem with the decision that Pastor made? You've been praying for him to have wisdom, guidance, and direction? Well, then go ahead and trust that God's giving him wisdom, guidance, and direction. And don't have a problem with his decision. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17, it says, Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. God's the one who gives direction. Don't misunderstand That pastor is the one running this church. God is the one who runs this church. Pastor gets his leadership from him. And we need to be praying that pastor will have wisdom, guidance, and direction. Pray for physical and spiritual protection and freedom from discouragement. Physical, spiritual protection and freedom from discouragement. Isaiah 40, 29 says, He giveth power to the faint, and to him that have no might he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as uh, eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. There is strength that can only be found through God. And pastor needs that strength. Be praying for that strength for him. That spiritual protection, that freedom from discouragement. Pray for his family. There's a, a saying by R. A. Tori. It says, Any church may have a mighty man of God for its pastor if it is willing to pay the price. And the price is not a big salary, but great prayer. Any church may have a great pastor if it's willing to pay the price. The price is not the salary, the price is prayer. Do you pray for pastor? Faithful, pr- faithfully praying. For pastor. That's one way that we can hold up his hands and encourage him. Another way is that we can respect him. His position demands respect. You may feel as though pastor hasn't earned your respect in, in your life, but that's irrelevant. His position deserves respect. In 1 uh, Thessalonians five twelve, it says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. The person that's in the leadership, the head of the church, esteem them very highly. Respect. Respect. I understand that there is a, a point in a person's life where they earn somebody's respect. They admire traits about them, or notice how they treat others, and... And and they desire, desire to honor that person. There's also inherent respect, and that's the respect that we ought to show to all mankind, that we are all created equal. And we ought to treat each other with kindness. But then there is the positional respect that we see here. Do you respect, pastor? You know what? If you respect, pastor, you listen to the message that God gives him every week and you do something with it. If you respect pastor, you go to him when there's an important decision that affects you and your roles in the church, and you talk to him about it. Respect is not back-talking or talking behind his back about the things you don't like that he's doing. The changes that he's making that don't tickle you, tickle your fancy. Respect is, hey, God has put this man here, and I'm going to honor him. I'm going to show respect. And you cannot be respectful, the man of God, and talk behind his back. The two don't combine. Have I heard people talking behind his back? No, I haven't. But I know that there's always murmurings. There's always some things, there's grumblings. And I want to encourage you to show respect for the man of God. You will never get anywhere in your life by disrespecting the man of God. I remember the story when I was, when I was a, a teenager. Uh, my pastor told us that once they were having a service and there was a lady who became become disgruntled with the church. And so during a service one evening, she came to the church, printed up this huge letter about how she just you know didn't like the pastor and his decision, and it's all horrible, and he's such a horrible man, and, and, and I just can't stand him, and I'm leaving the church because of these f- 15 pages worth of things. She printed up this love note. <laughs> put it in envelopes, and went around to everybody's car during the service and put it under the windshield wiper. So when everybody came out of church that night, I hope I'm not giving anybody ideas. All right, don't do this. This is what not to do, okay? But anyway, they come out to the, out, out of the service, and here's a note bashing the pastor. What was the purpose of that? Sowing discord among the brethren? Yeah, that was more of what it was. I understand maybe at some point in your life there may be a concern that arises. Don't talk about it. Go talk to him. Amen. Don't talk about it. Go talk to him. Don't come to me about it. Don't go to your Sunday school teacher about it. You have a problem with him? Then go to him and talk about it. Don't talk about it to your best friend. Don't let it, don't, let not murmurings be once named among you. That's the charge to the Corinthian church from Paul. You got some murmurings? Got something to complain about? First, check your own heart and your attitude and where you're at. And if it doesn't resolve the issue, then go to the preacher and let him talk to you. You say, well, every time I go talk to the preacher, he just, it, it's just amazing. It, it, it turns, he turns it around on me. Well, maybe it is you. I know that doesn't occur to us, but maybe it is you. And if you're praying for wisdom and guidance and leadership for the pastor, when you go talk to him, trust that the Lord's given him wisdom and guidance and leadership. And it's probably you. We don't, we don't, and nobody likes to be told they're wrong. That we have something that needs to be adjusted. But pastor deserves our respect. Because of the position that the Lord has appointed him in. Show him respect. I'm going to stop there this evening. I went a little bit long this morning and want to get you out early tonight. Memorization, fasting, holding up the pastor's hands. These principles right here, again, they're not groundbreaking. Every single one of us have heard these principles before. But do we practice them? I want tonight, more or less, more than anything else, none of these points, that don't flow together. It's not all from one passage. It's just simply practical truths that will make our lives better, will make this ministry's success greater, and will encourage the man that God has put in this place. We all could do better. I say it all the time. I say it to myself. I say it out loud. I say it when I'm teaching because we all can do better. And I'm not the kind of person that's saying we all can do better to point out the fact that we're not doing what we should do. I'm pointing out the fact that we just, we could grow. And we grow by applying principles that are in God's word. Known principles, but we seldom practice. Memorization, fasting, holding up the pastor's hands. If you would stand with me this evening, and we're going to have An altar call here in just a moment. If the Lord spoke to you about something, uh, I want to encourage you to, to come down to the front. But it is a true fact that all of these things will help you in your life. And I want our church to grow. Man, we're poised for the Lord to do great things in our ministry. Progress over at the new building. Soul winning outreach. People being saved. It's, it's an exciting time. But we can't just ride the wave that is the church. We've got to start to get a little bit deeper ourselves. So that as we get to the point of being over in that building, we've got some deep roots. We've got some people that can stand strong. That have some, that have some, um, some gumption about their Christianity. Christianity. And you won't get it without applying these principles here. I can, firmly, I can firmly attest to it. That memorizing will take you to another level of your Christian life. That fasting will take you to another level. And you don't have to take my word on it. It's promised in the word of God. Honoring the man of God. Showing respect. The Lord honors those who honor him. There's a blessing that comes from it. If you would bow your heads with me this evening, follow Lord.